Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, my guest today is Tom DeLuca of Cushman & Wakefield. Tom's a senior director of the company, specializes in the Long Island industrial real estate sector. Tom's clients range from local users all the way through some of the largest institutional investors in the country. Well, let's kick it off. Tom, how did you get started working at Cushman? Actually, a family friend of mine uh, was was working at the Cushman & Wakefield Long Island office and uh, was in college at the time, didn't know really what I wanted to do uh, for work. He had mentioned Cushman and Wakefield and, and what he did on a daily basis and uh, was intriguing to me. So, you know, I took a real estate course at, uh, at Hofstra uh, before I graduated. He put me in touch with my team and uh, mentor, Frank Frizzalone, who have been working with ever since. And it's been a, a great relationship and, and partnership. Sounds good. And, you know, we're on Long Island right now. Long Island's our kind of bread and butter home market. How have you seen the market evolve since you started? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's my day to day is it's changed night and day from from when I first started. Um, you know, the Long Island market is historically primarily owner occupied. So, on you know, in the past, we used to, you know, foot canvas and and knock on doors. And typically the, you know, the transactional sale transactional flow was um, user to user. Um, and then obviously, you you know, leases here and there, but the market has evolved in a way it's, it's becoming institutionalized, uh, more national tenants are, are entering into the market. So it's been, uh, exciting over the past few years to say the least, but, uh, it's, it's definitely evolved and it's growing. And is it fair to say that Long Island's been an attractive market because of the kind of mid to high incomes of the local population where, you know, a lot of these industrial users, they want to tap into that that buyer base, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, you know, from a demographic perspective, I mean, Nassau and Suffolk County alone has a population of plus or minus three, uh, three million people. Uh, when you include the outer boroughs, it's you know, close to eight million, which would which would be the 13th largest state in the country. So it's a very dense area, like you mentioned. You know, it's an affluent consumer base. Uh, so, you know, these companies, they, they want to get closer to the consumer, shorten that final mile, um, you know, which has been a big trend and, and reason why we're seeing the, the activity that we have been, you know, over the past two, three years. Awesome. So let's take a step back from an investment perspective. You know, let's talk about existing product today. So let's yep. say you own a class B uh, asset, you know, in Comac, right? And you're trying to find the best way to add value to it. You know, in multifamily, you know, you can do the kitchen, you can do the bedrooms, you can redo a lot of things, right? Um, office, you can do the lobby. In industrial, the value add can be a little trickier, right? Because you're dealing with essentially a box right. and a few other, you know, loading docks. So between the different aspects of a property, between, for example, raising the roof, you know, redoing the parking lot, what do you find is the best way for owners today to add value to their existing buildings? Yeah. So m more often than not, we, you know, the raising of the roof could certainly be one way to, to add value, but from a, you know, a cost perspective and a return perspective, it doesn't necessarily pencil out. Um, so, you know, a few things that landlords and owners do to, to add that value could be paving the lot, um, you know, redoing the, the office space just to make it more appealing when you, you know, bring it to market, paint, carpet, lighting. Um, and then, you know, for, for the warehouse, just, you know, installation of new LED lighting. Um, okay. That makes sense. 
And as far as industrial outdoor storage, that's definitely a buzzword and, and kind of a, a hot topic today. Absolutely. Uh, what are you seeing with that component? I mean, Long Island, you know, on the one hand, it's not Queens, right? But there's still demand for those outdoor storage guys. So what are you seeing out there today on Long Island? No, there's definitely demand for, for you know, these iOS uh, asset class. And uh, you know, we've worked on a few assignments recently. And, you know, there's a number of tenants that were expressing interest from, you know, building supply companies, equipment rental companies, um, you know, storage of fleet. Um, so what's interesting is, you know, most of the properties that you know, may appear to have outdoor storage today on Long Island, it's not necessarily a conforming use. So to have a, a property that is zoned, you know, and zoned and you're able to deliver a product, it's zoned, it's got the you know, necessary improvements. Uh, the site is upgraded to, you know, 2023 town standards. That's the biggest thing at this point, which there's so few options. Um, so when, you know, there is something available that, it, you know, you can deliver for a tenant, you know, you're able to really push rents and drive rents up for, for these iOS properties. So it's it's been an exciting um, asset class, but it's definitely has its challenges as far, you know, from a zoning um, and use use perspective, right? And, and how do the local townships on Long Island view that use? Are they generally amenable to it? If it's not currently zoned that way, do you see owners converting it to that use from something else, or what's the what's the path you see um, there? It's, I think it's a case by case basis. Um, really depends what you know municipality that particular property may lie in. You know, is there uh, surrounding residential? There has been you know one or two recent case studies where, um, you know, institutional investors have been able to get zoning from L1 to L2. Um, but typically it's not a, an easy process to, to go through. And the biggest thing is really just bringing these you know, properties up to code. So you're going to revise and amend um, a site plan, get a site plan approved in, in most cases, which could include installation of, you know, new drywells, curbing, uh, paving, Benson, landscaping, lighting. So it's definitely a process, um, but I think the towns are, you know, open to that conversation. So when you're working with a tenant today looking to lease out, you know, call it 20, 30,000 square feet of industrial space, what do you find to be the kind of key property attributes they're looking for? Is it a combination, I assume, ceiling height and loading? But if you had to kind of prioritize, you know, what the most in-demand features are, what would you say? Um, so I would say it would be, yeah, ceiling height would probably be you know, one of the big driving factors for, for tenants that are, you know, actively looking in the market. Overall, you know, functionality of the building itself, how much you know, excess land or trailer spaces may be available for, for their, you know, fleet of vans or trailers. And then obviously, you know, dock positions um, does weigh into that decision as well. Okay. That makes sense. And with regard to functionality, so obviously there's this new development on Long Island. What would you say is the key differentiators between this kind of newer Class A stuff versus the existing Class B, Class C product on Long Island? Right. So, you know, it's definitely been, I think, a learning um, experience for, for the market as these, you know, 
ground up new construction uh, buildings are getting delivered. And, you know, I think from a functionality standpoint, I mean, there's just a, there's a number of incentives from an operation standpoint that, that are just very attractive for, for companies to improve overall functionality. And I think that the ceiling height, you know, you get a 36 foot building, you're able to utilize that additional cubic square footage. So I think that's something that is being taken into consideration, you know, even from the, the you know, the local occupiers as well. Um, but in theory, you could, you know, reduce the square footage that, that you lease. Uh, but if you have the cubic square footage to rack up, um, you know, that obviously has a lot of incentives for, uh, for, for some of these companies that are looking. And then, you know, wide column spacing, um, you know, new dock levelers. So as far as, you know, different use cases today. Uh, so for example, are you seeing demand today for cold storage, for, you know, kind of cannabis use? I mean, what other, you know, interesting kind of use cases are you seeing that may be different than what we've seen in the last few years? Right. So, I mean, recently we've been, you know, seeing um, and working on a number of uh, food and beverage requirements, but the, the food distribution companies, it, it seems like there's a big demand right now in the market. Um, and, you know, they do have a component for freezer, cooler space. Um, so cold storage, I think, is definitely something that we, we've been seeing a lot of tenants that are looking, actively looking into in, in the market today. We're working on a few um, 3PL requirements. Food and beverage is a, is a growing sector in our market, um, which in, you know, incorporates the cold storage uh, component that, that you just mentioned. Um, Building materials, um, you know, industrial supply companies, um, seeing a lot of companies growing in our market right now. Infrastructure construction companies, um, you know, building out infrastructure for the utilities on Long Island. We're, we're seeing, uh, which has been pretty interesting, and some of the energy um, EV battery companies that that are looking to, you know, lease up a piece of land and. So let's hone on the, on the EV because uh, that's obviously a, an interesting trend. You know, obviously legislation and Congress is incentivizing battery storage, that type of thing. What are you seeing out there with regard to the, you know, just the demand, what type of use, what type of properties is it just the land they're looking for? Like what's the requirement for these EV guys? Yeah, it's, it's typically just the land for most of the requirements uh, that we're seeing. Um, and they need to be able to, um, you know, bring in additional power, you know, into the property. So being next to a grid or nearby a grid um, does have its bonuses, um, you know, when these companies are, are looking. But most cases, they are just looking for uh, just a piece of land. Got it. Okay. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, we're seeing, um, obviously, the retailers, big box retailers that also have active requirements, e-commerce companies. Um, so there's just, there's a number of uh, companies actively looking in the market. It's exciting. Um, it's definitely a diverse tenant mix um, that we're seeing today. Got it. And with those new big box retailers that are looking for, for space, you know, how are they looking at Suffolk versus NASA, right? Obviously, there's a lot of you know, new development on yeah. the multifamily side, you know, in Ronkonkoma with, with TriTech and, you know, all these other projects that are kind of being built further out east. Yeah. Is there a kind of path for growth where these users are following the multifamily development and they're seeing, hey, we have X number of more people living in these areas. Let's service those customers with, you know, a new last mile distribution center to kind of service that new population growth. 
Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, we're definitely seeing a migration of the tenants that are getting more comfortable being, you know, further east in the market and, and being centrally located as, you know, opposed to in the past where a lot of companies wanted to be as close to, you know, um, the boroughs as possible or as mm-hmm. close to the city as possible. Um, but with, you know, the, the developments that, that you just mentioned, you know, the eastern end of Long Island um, is growing, which which is great for for the market, um, you know, as more population and consumers are going to be in that particular market, I do think you know we'll continue to see a trend of companies and occupiers follow suit. Right, and and how would you distinguish between you know the kind of central Suffolk market, you know, for example, the Ronkonkoma area, yep. versus the eastern Suffolk, you know, for example, the Hamptons, a lot of migration post COVID. I guess we'll still we'll find out how sticky that population. Uh, growth is that they end up, you know, it's still kind of TBD if they're coming back, right. but a lot of people are obviously staying out there. So do you see a potential new demand for industrial products out there? I know Reckler has some projects there. Yeah, absolutely. So that that Eastern Suffolk market that you're you know, referring to, Medford, Yapank, and, and East, it's definitely, you know, a market that has been, um, you know, I guess, leasing activity or absorption, you know, historically, you know, significantly less than where we've seen tenants and the demand as you go further west. But um, I do think that market, there is a lot of potential there. Um, and I think we're seeing this trend of companies, you know, willing to be further east out on Long Island um, and to have a location, you know, on the east end of, of Long Island will still give you the ability to service into, you know, Nassau, Suffolk County and, and into the outer boroughs, you know, and obviously into the, the Hamptons as well. So I definitely think the the projects that that we're anticipating getting delivered, those developers will will have success. That makes sense. Uh, let's go back to cold storage for a second because it's interesting. It seems like uh, a product type that has a lot of obvious demand, right? You know, this new trend of people ordering on Instacart and yeah. you know whatever it is, still in short supply. It seems like a bit of a chicken the egg where because it's more expensive to develop these cold storage sites, right? I think a lot of developers might be a little reticent or hesitant to invest that money without the kind of surety of the demand. Meanwhile, you have you know the existing users and tenants who are looking for that space. So how do, how do you see that kind of cold storage supply demand dynamic playing out? Right. So I mean, I th- our our market, I believe we only have one, maybe two um, cold storage facilities that are available for you know for tenants that are looking for space for their uh, inventory. Um, and I think from, like you mentioned, a, a cost perspective and you know, the, the amount that it takes to build out that infrastructure, coupled with the fact that you know, it, we only have you know, very few data points um, you know, to, to share with potential cold storage developers, um, and nobody really wants to be the first to come into the market and, and do it. But you know, nonetheless, I, I do think that um, when the time comes, that we do see a you know a spec development a cold storage spec development. I'm excited to see the the results. Um, I definitely think that there's there's a big demand right now from you know the food users, medical, pharmaceutical. So I think it's definitely an exciting opportunity. Yeah, that makes sense. One of those things where like whoever's brave enough to be that first one <laughs> exactly. is going to actually make a killing on it. But you know it takes a lot of guts to be that. <laughs> oh yeah, that first one. Uh, as far as retrofitting existing spaces to cold storage. I don't want to overemphasize it, but it's an interesting field, I think. Um, is that, have you seen that at all? You know, 
owners taking their existing product and you know putting that capex to allow for cold storage or not so much um not not so much and i think there's you know a number of challenges um to retrofit an existing building you know you need the slabs to be a certain thickness so you have to potentially rip up the slab uh, the ceiling height you know the cold storage users the the higher the better um you know in some cases we've you know had users ask if they can you know build up to 60 feet high oh wow um so i think the best play would be to you know to find a piece of industrial land and uh build on spec got it and as far as um the cannabis world you know i think there was a big transaction a couple of years ago uh in riverhead that kind of hit the wires um but more recently, you haven't heard as much on the cannabis side, but legalization is coming on Long Island and, you know, they're already awarding licenses and certain uh, towns are already allowing uh, the sale. Are you seeing any demand for the cannabis growers? And actually, more than that, it's interesting is whether it's going to, you know, obviously retail sales are going to be coming to Long Island, but the question is, are they going to be growing on Long Island or is that going to be growing in cheaper areas like upstate New York or whatever it is, right? Uh, have you seen anything to, as a tell there or, or not yet? Um, other than a few calls, you know, from companies looking for warehouse space, um, I personally ha haven't been working on any of those types of requirements, but I do think that will be something that um, we see more and more. And I do feel like the um, companies will probably be growing, you know, out east on, on Long Island as opposed to try to service it from, you know, outside of the market. Right. Okay. As far as South Shore, Long Island. So, you know, anything from Valley Stream, Hewlett, Lawrence, Inwood, you know, these mostly residential areas, you know, I'm curious what you're seeing out there. Freeport has some product out there, right? But why do you think that is that there isn't as much development down there or you know, to the extent that is there an opportunity there for growth in that area for industrial product, or is it really just well serviced by existing kind of arteries through Long Island today? Um, no, I mean, I think there, you know, there's definitely a lack of inventory from that, you know, the five towns area, um, Hewlett, Inwood, all the way east to Freeport, Belmore, Massapequa, um, really lack of uh, industrial product. Um, and there's, it's very land constrained you know, most of Long Island, but especially Nassau County. So, you know, I think developing in, in that South Shore area, um, you know, there's going to be few and far between for from an opportunity perspective to uh, to do so. But if somebody can find an opportunity that, you know, they are able to to build, I think that would be very successful just due to, you know, the, the limited inventory and lack of supply. You know, we saw an interesting trend the last couple of years of you know, converting uh, office buildings yep. to industrial, obviously. And I think that's close to maxed out, if not already maxed out on Long Island. And that could certainly change as office values potentially, um, you know, to how they shake out next uh, couple of years. Are you seeing any other interesting industrial conversion opportunities out there for investors? Or is it really mainly that office industrial conversion? Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've seen a number of um, office to industrial conversions. We've seen uh, existing, you know, Class C type warehouses, um, you know, also get converted and um, redeveloped into you know modern Class A facilities as well. But you know, besides that, I don't think we're going to see medical buildings, um, you know, getting redeveloped or anything like that. So um, there was definitely a, a big trend in you know those office to industrial conversions. 
And, you know, if there's an opportunity available for, you know, an owner to, to do so or developer to do so, you know, I think we'll, we'll continue to see that trend. But like you, like you mentioned, the options are, are certainly um, dwindling at this point. So if you had to kind of put your finger on why all these institutional investors are entering the Long Island marketplace, you know, you have some of the largest funds out there from the Brookfields of the world to the Link Logistics, what's making Long Island so appealing for them? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's the the overall market fundamentals. I mean, we we touched on the the demographics. It's you know, your ideal infill location, densely populated. You know, it's an affluent region, um, and our market is is definitely undersupplied. Um, you know, when you're comparing it to let's say northern New Jersey, for example, um, our market has 31 square feet of industrial product per consumer. Uh, compared to New- northern New Jersey, that has 83 square feet. Oh wow, uh, that is of- a huge Delta. Um, So there's definitely room to grow, you know, in that perspective. And then for, you know, for these spec developments that I think since 2015, we've, we've seen uh, 12 new buildings get delivered. And now, you know, there's, there's a number of um, projects that we're tracking over the next, you know, several years that um, we anticipate getting delivered to the market. And I think the biggest thing for that is just, you know, our existing inventory, uh, the average age of these buildings is, is 50 years old. Uh, so these buildings are, you know, functionally obsolete, low ceiling heights, um, and that's that's the bulk of our inventory. Um, you know, we, there's 18 buildings in our market that have ceiling heights with 36 foot clear plus. So as we're seeing the market evolve, and we're seeing these, you know, regional and national occupiers looking to enter into Long Island, those are the types of buildings that you know they occupy in other regions throughout you know, throughout the country. So we're seeing, you know, really a flight to quality for these new developments. Um, and I think it's, you know, part of the reason why, you know, we're seeing a lot of institutional capital, um, you know, looking to invest in, in Long Island. So it's, it's in the earlier stages of our growth pattern, but um, we're definitely seeing the tenant demand right now, the uh, vacancy rate, you know, is, is below 3%. And, you know, we're seeing significant increase in, uh, in rents as well. And as far as you know, your predictions for the next kind of couple of years won't hold you to this, but if you had to guess kind of like, you know, either areas of Long Island that you're a big believer in that you think are kind of poised for growth, right? Or interesting kind of use cases that you think are like, there's early signs up today that are going to only expand, right? What do you kind of see coming down the pike? Um, so I'm extremely bullish on the you know, Long Island industrial market. I think the fundamentals uh, for our market are, are you know, extremely strong. We're in the relatively, you know, early stages of, you know, what I feel like is going to be a growing market over the next several years. But vacancy rate um, under 3%. Last year, we saw leasing activity was up by 67% year over year, and we saw rents increase by 27% year over year. So, you know, as, as we talked about the market evolving earlier, you know, we're seeing more and more of these, um, regional and national occupiers that are entering into the market that historically, you know, were servicing Long Island from their distribution centers in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Um, and they didn't necessarily have to have locations here. But as I think as the you know, consumer behavior has changed over time um, and companies are, you know, getting smarter um, in, in some cases with their supply chain res- uh, resilience, they're shortening that final mile. They're entering into the Long Island market. 
They're getting closer to the consumer. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see a trend of a lot of these national occupiers that may not be here today, but, but will be here you know, in, in years to come. Interesting. And those occupiers you're talking about, I assume they already exist in places like you know, New Jersey or, or well, New Jersey is a kind of big one. They have the port there. Yeah. But what do you think it's going to take for a lot of these guys to say, hey, we haven't been in Long Island yet. You know, we're in Jersey now. Let's start expansion into the Long Island market, right? What's been that kind of, not hesitation, but how do you get from point A to point B? Well, I think it's just, um, you know, that, that consumer behavior evolving, you know, being on your phone and you know, everybody ordering everything online now. And I think the, you know, the, the cost savings that um, these companies, you know, realize they'll have entering into Long Island as opposed to, you know, continuing to service it from outside of the market is, is significant. Um, you know, the transportation and cost to deliver these goods um, is, is expensive. Um, I believe the transportation cost um, accounts for, I believe it's like 50 to 70 percent of a company's overhead um, and the real estate itself is like five to eight percent. So to have a facility here, you know, really makes sense for a lot of these companies. And I think over time, um, you know, we've seen recently um, companies come to that realization and definitely foresee, you know, that, that trend continuing. Um, and, you know, our, our market differentiates from, you know, the New Jersey market that, you know, we don't necessarily have tenants that are looking for 500,000 square feet or a million square feet. Um, but our sweet spot, you know, especially with the national um, and regional occupiers is really in that like 40 to 120,000 square feet. Yeah. And as far as the buyer base from, you know, Brooklyn and Queens for years, it's been a uh, really great for Long Island that, you know, if you do the math, some of these owners were you know, for example, Long Island City, they yep. sold a property, an industrial property for some ridiculous mm -hmm. price to a multifamily developer, took that money and moved out east to Long Island, pushed up pricing here, was yep. great for all the incumbent landlords. Are you still seeing that trend today? Are you seeing a slowdown there? And kind of what's that demand and appetite looking like from uh, west to east? Yep. Um, so we definitely saw that trend that we're referring to with the, um, I guess, yeah, you know, residential um, developments and a lot of occupiers. It was probably five, six years ago that we saw a big demand from um, tenants that were that were migrating east. Um, there was definitely a slowdown. Um, you know, I'd say over the last two years or so. Um, but in recent months, um, there's been you know it seems like that's starting to to pick up again. Um, so we're seeing you know we're seeing more more users that that are looking to whether it's buy or buy or lease. Um, but I think there's, from the leasing perspective too, I mean, the tenants in Brooklyn and Queens are paying, you know, in some cases in the, you know, low to mid 20s um, for an existing, you know, functionally obsolete warehouse. And, you know, you could lease uh, a warehouse in, you know, Nassau and Suffolk for a fraction of, of the price and still service your, uh, your customers. Right. And to your earlier point, you know, because it, it's a no-brainer when you look at it from that perspective, but for a lot of those users, if their, you know, client base is in the city or Queens, the transportation costs can really start to add up. So is that really what's offsetting, you know, them just gobbling up more on Long Island? It's just the fact that if you are servicing the city, it's just more expensive to just transport. 
right? Yes. Co- yeah. Co- correct. So it's you know it's it's definitely a case by case basis. It depends where you know, the the bulk of your your customers are. Um, and yes, if you are servicing you know in that immediate area in in the outer boroughs and into the city, those types of users are probably going to look to to stay there. But you know, again, in some cases, yeah, that's not the only area that these um, yeah, that these tenants and occupiers have have a consumer base. Um, and I think those are tenants that are willing to to go east. Right, makes sense. And you know, as we've seen China reopening at a macro level, or have you actually seen you know not a one to one correlation, but some type of correlation there between you know what's happening across the world versus the actual activity on the ground level uh, on Long Island, or is it really not that correlated at all? No, I think there's definitely the, the synergies with everything that happens, you know, with, with, with our economy to, you know, to what we do, whether it's, you know, the other countries, um, you know, what's happening with the financial market right now, it, it all intertwines with, uh, with our business. Um, so we're, we're definitely seeing a, a correlation and we're seeing more of, you know, companies and tenants that um, may have ties to, you know, other countries that have active, you know, re- requirements at this point. So I definitely, definitely see the correlation. Right. And what Tom's referring to, we're <laughs> recording this in uh, mid-March 23, uh, in the aftermath uh, of the Signature Bank uh, going belly up. It's obviously a dynamic situation, you know, a lot of noise out there. But, you know, I think we all agree here that Long Island Industrial is uh here to stay and one of the safest long-term investments and, and, oh, yeah. and plays out there right now. So um, yeah, we'll see how that financial systemic issues uh, shake out for sure. From a client perspective, you know, the Cushman brands, obviously, you know, very powerful. You have a, an international network, but even the national or even local network is fairly strong, right? You have offices in the city and in Queens and Long Island. How did those synergies work, you know, between Queens, for example, and Long Island, how are you benefiting from that? And how does that trickle down to the ultimate client who's looking to maximize pricing? Right. So, I mean, from a local standpoint, um, you know, we've started to, you know, do a lot of business with our New Jersey office and um, our team in Brooklyn and Queens and, and collaborating more and more to, to, to form that regional approach and understand what's happening in, in other markets, what, you know, what they're seeing boots on the ground um, and just using each other as, as a resource um, has been extremely helpful, you know, to have the, the Cushman brand and offices in, you know, every major market um, in the world has been a big tool, um, you know, for, for myself and, you know, obviously clients, but, you know, to be able to get um, market information, any market that, you know, you may need, it's definitely, uh, helpful, you know, to have that brand behind you um, and, and utilize Cushman and Wakefield. Makes sense. If you were to start all over again today, you know, just so everyone knows, Tom is a, a rising star in the industry. He's actually won a, a number of awards. So uh, congrats on that, Tom. Thank you. Uh, if you were to start all over again, though, would you do anything different? It's always something that you could kind of come up with, even though, you, you know, you, uh, your star is definitely rising. What would you do differently today? Um, honestly, it's, it's hard to say I do anything different at this point. Um, I'll actually, June 1st, I'll be eight years at, at oh, Cushman and Wakefield. Thank you. Um, and I think just, you know, seeing over time, you know, the growth in the market, it's correlated with, 
my career as well. Um, but I, I don't I don't think that I I would change a thing. I mean, like I mentioned, I've had um, Frank Frizzalone has been my mentor in the business and could not have uh, done any of this without him. Uh, Nick Galpoli has been a uh, you know, partner of mine since I, I joined Cushman and Wakefield as well. And it's, it's really just, uh, you know, it's a learning experience. It's got its, you know, good days and it's bad days, but you just need to, you know, put, put in the work and the, the time and everything comes to, comes to fruition. But somebody actually used an example that it's like going for your, you know, going for a master's degree. Um, because it takes those years to really get yourself situated in this business, learning the market, um, and building, you know, a, a clientele. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. Awesome. Yeah. Shout out to, um, Frank and Nick and your whole team there. You've had only positive experiences working with you guys. Thank so, you. you know, along those same lines, if you were a young guy coming out of school today, let's say coming out of Hofstra and you want to get in the real estate business. How would you, you know, go about that? Like, would you suggest, you know, starting at a small brokerage, going straight to a larger brokerage? Is there a kind of um, a path that you would suggest a young guy or young girl looking to get started in this industry? Um, look, I think there's pros and cons of, you know, being at any firm, whether it's a larger firm or a smaller firm. But, um, you know, from my perspective, I think you, you get yourself with a good company, a good firm. Um, and the right team, I think, is is really important to have that mentorship, you know, when you first get into the business and just dedicate your time to to learn. Um, you have to learn the market um, and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to happen overnight and you have to have thick skin, <laughs> right. like, 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 you know, um, but it's it, it, it could definitely be a, a great, great business. Um, you just have to you know, put in that time, put in the effort and. Uh, it has its has its perks. And from the investor side of curiosity, you know, leaving aside the institutional investors, the mom and pop kind of entrepreneurial investors you've worked with over the years, have you seen a consistent set of qualities, personality traits, you know, skill set among those guys who and girls who have kind of risen through the ranks and become successful in this industry? Right. Um, so listen, I think the Successful clients and investors that I've worked with, I think just, you know, persistence, following up, wanting to, you know, hear what, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, boots on the ground on a, a daily basis, what, you know, deals we may be working on, whether it's from the leasing side of it um, or what we may have available, you know, for them to look at from a, a sales perspective. And then just getting a quick turnaround, I think, is, is something that um, is important as well, not, you know, sharing something and then, not getting any type of feedback at all. So just uh, communication, I think, is 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 important. Right. I know that yeah, brokers love quick feedback. Right. That's yeah. uh, <laughs> in some cases. Yeah. Don't make you guys wait. Just uh, give you an answer uh, <laughs> the same day. No. 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 <laughs> um, anything else you want to leave uh, the listeners with for today? Um, no. I mean, I think we we, we covered a lot. Um, you know, like we've been mentioning just, you know, there's, there's a lot of change going on in, in the Long Island market. Um, and it's been exciting, but it's just from a, from a growing market. It's definitely exciting to see, you know, real time. Awesome. Thanks Tom for coming in and, uh, see you next week. 